Before we read the Holy Word of God, let us receive the instruction from the Heidelberg Catechism based on Scripture. We've been referring to this number 54 uh, quite frequently during this section because it addresses the issue of how the Lord Jesus Christ, by His Word and Spirit, calls forth His redeemed people, redeems a people for Himself, the Church of Jesus Christ, throughout history and throughout the world. And that's applicable and relevant to the reading of Scripture today and what the Word of God has to say to us today. Therefore, Christian, Christian believer, what do you believe concerning the holy Catholic, that is, the one worldwide church of Jesus Christ? I believe that the Son of God, through His Spirit and Word, out of the entire human race, from the beginning of the world to its end, gathers, protects, and preserves for himself a church chosen for eternal life and united in true faith. And of this church, I am and always will be a living member. Let us pray. Almighty and ever-living God, we give you thanks for the glorious gospel of your Son, Jesus Christ, who alone is head and king of the church, having offered up himself for his bride, the church, to cleanse and redeem us from sin and draw us unto himself that he might present us to you, O Father, clothed in his righteousness. And so we pray now the blessing of your Holy Spirit that you will attend the reading, hearing, preaching, and receiving of the gospel of Jesus Christ through your word written in Scripture, that you will give us ears to hear hearts to believe, souls to respond rightly in faith to the glory of your name through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen. We continue in Romans 10, getting a running start again from last week, beginning at verse 5 through the end of the chapter. Let us hear the word of God. It is written. For Moses writes about the righteousness that is based on the law, that the person who does the commandments shall live by them. But the righteousness based on faith says, do not say in your heart who will ascend into heaven, that is, to bring Christ down, or who shall descend into the abyss, that is, to bring Christ up from the dead. But what does it say? The word is near you, in your mouth and in your heart. That is, the word of faith that we proclaim. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him 
of whom they have never heard. And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. But I ask, have they not heard? Indeed they have, for their voice has gone out to all the earth and their words to the ends of the world. But I ask, did Israel not understand? First Moses says, I will make you, a, make you jealous of those who are not a nation. With a foolish nation, I will make you angry. Then Isaiah is so bold as to say, speaking the word of the Lord, I have been found by those who did not seek me. I have shown myself to those who did not ask for me. But of Israel, the Lord says, All day long I have held out my hands to a disobedient and contrary people. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of our God stands forever. To his name be all praise, honor, and glory. Amen. Let's begin with this question. Let's begin with this question. If you could absolutely, perfectly explain everything about God and his dealings with the world such that there was no mystery left and you could explain and understand everything down to the last detail with crystal clear logic, and it made perfect sense to you, with no questions remaining, how would that make you feel? Let me tell you how it would make me feel. I would feel very depressed. Because if my little mind could absolutely and perfectly understand and explain everything about God and His ways, then He wouldn't be much of a God, but only a pitiful reflection of my measly, mortal, finite mind. But the fact that we don't know Everything about the ways and plan of God does not mean that we don't know anything. God has revealed himself and his ways sufficiently so that although we may not know everything we would like to know, we can know everything we need to know about God's relationship with us and our relationship with him. But at the end of all our knowing, there will still be mystery. We will always run into the limits of our finite minds. And that ought not to cause us to despair, nor to be cynical, nor to be skeptical, nor to be agnostic, nor to be timid in faith. But rather, it ought to embolden us and cause us to burst forth in praise 
To God, humble, joyful praise to the infinitely infinite and eternal creator who is infinitely greater than us and who would otherwise be completely unknowable to us except for the fact that he has made himself known to us through his incarnate word, Jesus Christ, and his written word in Holy Scripture. Now this is how the Apostle Paul concludes this difficult section of chapters 9 through 11. In a doxology, extolling the infinite wisdom of God, at the end of chapter 11, he he sings, Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God! How unsearchable are His judgments! How inscrutable His ways! For who has known the mind of the Lord? Who has been His counselor? Who has given a gift to him that he should be repaid? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. Now that's the conclusion of Romans 11. And the point is, as we work through Romans 9 through 11, today in chapter 10, as we wrestle with the doctrines, the biblical doctrines of election and predestination, and we can't seem to get our heads completely around those biblical truths, as we come to the limits of our finite minds, our ultimate response should be that of the Apostle Paul himself, namely a response of humble, joyful praise to the infinitely infinite, uncreated Creator, whom we cannot perfectly comprehend, but who has revealed himself and has sufficiently made known to us the way of salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. I'm emphasizing the fact that God's infinite wisdom so far exceeds ours because, again, today we're dealing, frankly, with a very difficult passage, difficult in two ways. First of all, it is somewhat difficult to follow Paul's line of thought and what he's doing with these numerous Old Testament quotations. But secondly, even if we do understand it or have some understanding of it, it still presents us with a difficult truth. That is the difficult truth that Paul is wrestling with in chapters 9 through 11 uh, with the fact that first century Israel had rejected the Messiah, and applicable to us today, the difficult truth, the painful truth, that some people, some people you know and love, do not believe the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now here's one more preliminary comment, especially for those who may be visiting today for the first time or who may not have been regularly attending recently. This is sermon number 45 in the series through Romans. We spent weeks and weeks, months, months, focusing on the basic gospel message of Romans. That is, justification by faith alone in Christ alone. How are sinners made right with God? How can a sinner stand in the presence of the Holy Creator Only through faith in Jesus Christ, clothed in His righteousness, received by faith in Him. Throughout the letter to the Romans, 
up to and in this very passage today, the Word of God says over and over in various ways, quote, by works of the law, no human being will be justified in God's sight. But since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. That's the glorious good news of the gospel. Our justification, our right standing with God, our right relationship with God does not depend on who we are and what we do or try to do, but on who God is and what He, in His grace and mercy, has done for us through His Son, Jesus Christ. But in this major section of Romans, chapters 9 through 11, Paul is wrestling with the fact that first century Israel as a corporate entity, what we might call establishment Israel of the first century, what we might call official Judaism of the first century, rejected the Messiah. As the Gospel of John says, He, Jesus, the Son of God, the Messiah of Israel, came to His own and His own people did not receive Him. John 1, 11. Instead of receiving the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ, they, says Paul, continued to seek to establish a righteousness of their own, a right standing with God based on works instead of faith. Romans 9.32 says they did not pursue righteousness by faith, but by the law as if it were based on works. Paul's point is that righteousness by works of the law is an impossibility because no one has or ever could perfectly obey God's law. That is, no one except the one, Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ alone has indeed perfectly obeyed the law of God. Therefore, sinners can be saved only by Him and His righteousness alone received through faith. And the glory of the gospel is that the righteousness of Christ, the perfect sinless righteousness of Christ, is granted to all, to everyone, Jew or Gentile, who believes in Him. For as verse 13 says, The same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing His riches, the riches of His righteousness. On all who call on Him, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And that takes us all the way back to Paul's thesis statement in chapter 1, verse 16. I'm not ashamed of the gospel. It is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. It's not about doing It's about believing in the Lord Jesus, calling on the name of the Lord Jesus, confessing that Jesus is Lord. That's true today for you and for me and everyone without distinction. The problem in Paul's day is that first century establishment Israel, first century official Judaism was not believing, not calling upon, not confessing. Jesus as Lord. They had rejected the cornerstone and had stumbled over the stumbling stone. 
The fulfillment of all God's covenant promises to Israel had come in human flesh and blood. Jesus Christ. And first century Israel had missed it. Not only missed it, but rejected God's gift. How could this have happened? What did it mean? Had God therefore rejected his people? These were the questions that Paul was wrestling with. Was there nothing more that could be done for the salvation of Paul's beloved kinsmen? Yes, says Paul, there is something more to be done. There was an answer to first century Israel's unbelief, and there is an answer to the unbelief in the world today. And that answer is to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ, to herald the good news of salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. Paul makes his point by a series of questions which work in a backwards direction from the end point back to the beginning. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. A quotation A citation from the prophet Isaiah. Well, the point here is that when when faced with unbelief, when faced with massive unbelief, overwhelming cultural, societal, in some sense even political unbelief, the Apostle Paul does not shrink back in defeated despair or futile resignation. Nor does he simply write off the unbelievers as though there is absolutely no possibility of salvation for them, as though it's already game over for them. No, no. He does not make that final judgment about anyone, and neither should we. Paul does not play a guessing game about who is of the elect in the eternal mind of God, and who is not. And neither should we. The answer to the problem of unbelief is to preach the gospel, to live as heralds of the good news of Jesus Christ. That was true in the first century, and it is true in the 21st century. Think about it. When Jesus gave the great commission to his apostles... Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. Jesus knew that the apostles and believers down through the centuries and we today would face opposition, persecution, and unbelief. Jesus knew that. And Jesus knew that not all who heard the gospel would believe the gospel. He knew that. He knew that during the time of his own incarnation, in his own ministry. He knew that not everyone would believe. He experienced rejection and opposition arising from willful unbelief. But that didn't keep him from proclaiming the gospel about himself and calling sinners to himself to follow him in newness of life. That didn't keep him from commissioning his apostles to proclaim the gospel to all the world. 
And, and think about this. You remember, Jesus told the parable of the sower and the seeds. Remember that? There's a lot of unbelief in that parable. The birds, the rocky ground, and the thorns. Remember? But there is also the good soil, the elect, who by the sovereign grace and mercy of God, by the supernatural working of the Holy Spirit, will hear the word, receive it in faith, and produce much fruit for the glory of God. Dear friends, the doctrine, the biblical doctrine of election, the fact that God has a chosen people whom He will save through faith in Christ by the power of His Word and Spirit is the only foundation for evangelism and is the motivation for evangelism and is the guarantee that though some will respond to the gospel with hardened unbelief, yet there will always be some, 10,000 upon 10,000, a multitude no man can number, who will receive the gospel and embrace Jesus Christ by faith. For as he, the Lord of heaven and earth, said, I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Jesus is going to win. And he is going to have his way in this world. In fact, Jesus has already won. And even now, he is working his purposes out, building his church. By his spirit and word, out of the entire human race, from the beginning of the world to its end, he gathers, protects, preserves for himself a church chosen for eternal life. He's doing it. And he will continue to do it until he comes again. Building his church, his new covenant, Israel, comprised of people from every tribe and tongue and nation whom he has redeemed by his own blood, justified by faith in him. And he calls us and sends us into the world to be engaged in that mission as he continues to work out his eternal purpose for the redemption of his people and the calling forth and building up of his church to his glory. So Paul's point in the first century applies to the 21st century here in Washtenaw Parish. How will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? I think it's very, very important for us to realize that there are some very nice, extremely likable, respectable, well-educated, socially acceptable people living right here in our neighborhoods who have never truly heard the biblical gospel of Jesus Christ in any meaningful way. 
They don't believe because they've never really heard. How will they call on Him? How will they believe in Him unless they hear the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ in accordance with the Scriptures? How do unbelievers come to faith in Jesus Christ? The Scripture says faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. Faith comes by the working of the Holy Spirit through the preaching of the gospel. How do unbelievers come to faith in Jesus Christ? The word of Christ goes forth in the power of the Holy Spirit. And by the supernatural working of the Holy Spirit, the word of the gospel creates faith and enlivens faith in the heart of God's elect people. And they respond in faith and receive Jesus Christ by faith. And they call on the name of the Lord and they are saved, justified by faith. And if you are saved... That's how you got saved. You heard the word of Christ. And by the grace of God and the supernatural working of the Holy Spirit, you were granted the grace to believe in Christ, call upon His name, confess Him as Lord, and you were saved, justified by faith. In the first century, Jesus Christ appointed and sent His apostles into the world to make disciples of all nations. We who embrace the apostolic faith, the biblical faith of the apostles, the faith taught in the New Testament scriptures and all of scripture, are called to carry on that mission. Now, particular individuals are called and appointed to preach the gospel publicly, as I am now doing. But you are a part of that. As each one of you, as a member of this congregation, participate as a member of the body of Christ and support the ministry of this congregation, and and you play a part in the preaching of the word in your daily life, simply by being willing to have friendly conversations with others in which you rather unselfconsciously Express your own personal faith in Christ. You should simply share out of your own experience who Christ is and what He means in your life. It doesn't have to be preachy. It just has to be true. And in which you invite others to visit with you for worship and have lunch afterward. Or invite others to visit your small group or your midweek Bible study. You might be surprised how many people are waiting for such an invitation. And even if not all respond positively to you, because not all will respond positively. We know that going in. Nevertheless, you know that God knows what He's doing. God knows how He is working His purpose out. God knows those who are His own and He will show Himself to them and He will be found by them. He simply calls you to be faithful as His witnesses.
Now, again, in his historical context, Paul was wrestling with the unbelief of his Jewish brethren of first century Israel. And and chapter 10 concludes with citations from the Old Testament addressing this unbelief, answering two basic questions. Is Israel's belief rooted in ignorance? Maybe that's the reason they rejected the Messiah. No, it's not ignorance, says Paul. Because the word of the gospel, even in Paul's day, had been proclaimed throughout the Jewish communities as thoroughly as the sun shines upon the earth. That's that citation from Psalm 19. He's saying, the word has gone out. They're not ignorant. They were not ignorant of the gospel. Well, then, was it due to a lack of understanding? And by the way, when when Paul uh, quotes Isaiah, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us, um, that's the introduction to Isaiah 53. That's the gospel of Isaiah. All we like sheep have gone astray. The Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all, and so forth. That great prophecy of the suffering Savior in Isaiah 53 They were aware of that. They knew that. So it wasn't a matter of understanding. There's something else going on. God, And at the the end of this chapter, it's simply this, that God was simply letting first century Israel be first century Israel. God was simply letting Israel, his old covenant people, be themselves and bear the consequences of their own unbelief. Their their unbelief was not due to some explanation or excuse. It was as Paul very painfully quotes Isaiah who spoke the word of the Lord. All day long I have held out my hands to a disobedient and contrary people. They're just being themselves. In other words, first, centuries, first century Israel's unbelief was their own fault. It was of their own doing. It was a reflection of their own character as a disobedient and contrary people. It was the, it was the culmination of, of, of Old Testament Israel. That's been the, it was the story of Old Testament Israel throughout, except for the remnant. But the same is true today of anyone who rejects the gospel of Jesus Christ. When anyone today says, well, I would believe in God, I I would believe in Christ if, but, all that is is blame shifting. Blaming God for their unbelief, but God will not accept that as an excuse. If you are an unbeliever today, then your own unbelief is due to your own rebellion against God. It's yours. Your own unbelief is your own doing and your own undoing. That's the bad news. That's the painful truth. So hear the good news. Jesus Christ, crucified and risen from the dead, is Lord. 
Lord of heaven, Lord of earth. I am the resurrection and the life, says the Lord. He who believes in me, even though he die, yet shall he live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Believe in him. Call upon him. Confess him as your Savior and Lord. And you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified. And with the mouth one confesses and is saved. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. To God be the glory. Amen. Let us pray. Our most gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you that you have not left us to ourselves but have